now, um, if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 7 through 15. And this morning, the title of the sermon is, Why Do We Have Life Transformation Groups? Now, if you are a regular around Redeemer Church, you know what a, you, you know what a life transformation group is, or at least you've heard of it. You heard the term, we often shorten it and use, say, LTG, Life Transformation Group. Uh, some people wrongly say Liddig. Don't do that. Okay, just don't do that. I don't like it. Okay. I don't know. I just, don't get me started, okay? Um, yeah. So we have some confusion about what those are. Like, we know they exist. And so this morning, what I hope to do is show us from Scripture why it's important to have something like a life transformation group. As I was thinking about how to um, begin the sermon this morning, uh, I, this phrase kept coming into my mind, and it's a phrase that kind of comes from the, the military community. Now, you know, in the United States, we have several branches of the military. You know, we've got the Marines and the, the, the Army, the Navy, uh, the Air Force, the Coast Guard. Don't want to leave those guys out either. You know, we have these various branches of the military, and they all have mottos and freight catchphrases and whatever, you know. Like, I'm real familiar with the Marine Corps, so, you know, I, the, the few, the proud, the Marines, and, of course, Semper Fidelis or Semper Fi, you know, the Marine Corps motto. And, of course, I know, you know, we've, there's, I don't aim high. I think it's the Air Force, right? And, and uh, the, go uh, Army Strong and go Navy. And, you know, we just have all, the, each branch of the military has some very unique catchphrases for them and also unique mottos for them. But there is one phrase that, that all branches of the military, in fact, almost every military unit in the world grabs onto this concept of no man left behind. No man left behind. And the, and the idea is, man, if, if you are stranded behind enemy lines, somebody's going to come and get you. And if, if you're captured, somebody's going to come and free you. If, if, you're, if you're wounded, somebody's going to come and rescue you. And if you fall in battle, somebody's going to bring your body home. That's the idea of no man left behind. It's, it's the idea of, of Marine recon rescuing a downed aviator or Air Force pararescue helping a sailor lost at sea. That's the idea of no man left behind. And medals, some of the... Some of the the highest medals of valor that our country awards have been for men and women who were committed to this concept, this idea of no man left behind. So they went back into harm's way to rescue, to help, to pull out their brothers and sisters in arms um, because they were committed to this concept of no man left behind. I wonder what the church would be like if we were committed to that concept of no one left behind. And, and really, I, I think that's what life transformation groups are all about. It, it, is, it is our way in the church of saying and being committed to the concept of when it comes to 
following Christ and moving forward for the kingdom of God, no one's going to get left behind. No one is going to be abandoned, left behind. There's always going to be somebody who's going to walk with them, either go back and get them, walk with them, pull them along, push them forward, whatever it is, no one will be left behind. And, and, and I really think that that's also part of the, the message of the text we're looking at today, Hebrews 3, uh, 7 to 15. I think as we look at that text together, here is the main point that, that we're going to see, the, the main idea that we're going to grasp, and that is that God desires thee and provides for the enduring faith of his people. Let me just say that again. The, the main idea in, in the message this morning is that God desires the enduring faith of his people and and he provides for the enduring faith of his people. So if you have your Bible, let's look at Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. I think it's clear from this passage and others and the whole of Scripture and that God desires enduring faith for his people. And that's really the first point of the sermon this morning is that this is a desire of God. This is what God calls his people to, enduring faith. Well, what is enduring faith? Well, enduring faith is faith that perseveres to the very end. In fact, uh, it, it's, it's the theological concept of the perseverance of the saints, which is, you know, part of our doctrinal statement at Redeemer Church. We understand and believe that those who truly belong to Christ will continue with Christ to the very end. They will not, they will not fall away forever. Now, will they perhaps struggle and fall into the sin? Yes, but ultimately they will endure. So that's God's desire for his people, for, that they would endure to the end. Their faith would endure. They would not fall away, walk away. Their faith would not fail, but it would endure. This is God's desire for his people. And we see it clearly communicated uh, in verses 7 through 11, which, of course, is a uh, quotation from Psalm 95, which is making a reference to Exodus 17. And it's all about the 
it's all about the Exodus generation and their failure. So God holds up the failure of the Exodus generation as sort of this negative example or the example to avoid. They failed. They, their faith did not endure. They tested God. And now here's who they were and, and here's the event that the writer of Hebrews is referencing when he quotes Psalm 95, which again is referencing back to Exodus 17. And it's when God had already brought the ten plagues on Egypt and provided a way of escape for the for his people out of their bondage and slavery, say, slavery in Egypt. And he had led them um, by a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he brought them to the edge of the Red Sea. And, and the armies of Egypt were, were closing in. And so then God miraculously split the Red Sea and enabled the people of Israel to, to walk through the waters on dry ground. And then he destroyed their pursuers and drowned Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. And then, and then as they wandered in the wilderness, they were thirsty. So God provided water by changing bitter water to sweet water. And they were hungry. So God provided manna from heaven. So this is the history of what is, the recent history of what had been going on with these people that ultimately failed. They had seen God time and time deliver and provide and even water and food and then how quickly they forget and they say, oh, we're thirsty. There's no water. It's better if we would have just been stayed in Egypt and been left there. Did God bring us into the wilderness to kill us? They, they doubted. They questioned. They put God to the test. That, that's what he's referring to here, this rebellion of unbelief by the Exodus generation. Of course, God provided water from a rock for them, okay? But their disbelief, their unbelief, God saw as rebellion and, and a symptom of a hardened heart. Look at verse 8, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. You see, unbelief is rebellion against God. When we fail to take God at his word, it is as though we were testing God. And what did Jesus say about putting God to the test? Remember when Jesus was in the, in the wilderness and he was being tempted by the devil for after 40 days and 40 nights of a fast? Satan comes to Jesus and tempts him. And one of the ways he tempts him, tempts Jesus is to, hey, took him to the pinnacle of the temple and said, hey, just jump off. Throw yourself off of here because as it is written, he's given, your angel, he's given his angels you know, to, to guard you so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus' response is, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Because putting God to the test, except where God gives us 
a command to put him to the test, and, and, and there isn't a place in Scripture where that happens, but that was last week's sermon on giving, okay? Uh, but, but that's the one area God says, put me to the test, in this area of faithful giving and God's faithful response. But, but in, in all these other things, we're not to put God to the test because it's unbelief. It's a hardened heart of unbelief. When we doubt God and His Word and His ability. Because they were doubting God's ability. Even though He'd already fed them with bread from heaven. Although He'd turned bitter water to sweet water. Even though He'd already enabled them to cross the Red Sea on dry land. But yet turn around and destroy the armies of Egypt that were pursuing them. Although God had been faithful time and time to provide and to work miraculously. They still doubted they did not believe that god cared for them and could provide for them so they complained and grumbled and god saw that as unbelief and testing and he rejected that generation and they did not see the promised land that's we need to understand seriousness of unbelief okay unbelief is an offense to god it it invokes god's wrath because he says that he was in verse 10 he was provoked with that generation and then in verse 11 i swore in my wrath unbelief provokes God and stirs his wrath. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that none of us want to provoke God or incur or stir up his wrath. Let's, Let's just pause for a moment and think about some times in which God's wrath has been displayed on earth. We have one example here of the Exodus generation, their, their constant unbelief in the fact that their wandering in the wilderness was, pro, was prolonged so that every one of them could die. And their bodies would fall in the wilderness instead of the land of promise. And that's a pretty good example. And then, of course, we have... Um, If we were to fast forward, we would see God using evil kings and evil kingdoms to to bring about his discipline, his wrath upon his people. And and, and I'm talking about the fall of Israel and the and the fall of Judah, the, 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 the divided kingdoms of Israel, their fall and the fact that those people were taken into captivity by evil kings and evil kingdoms. And God used those evil kings and evil kingdoms to express his wrath as he was provoked with the constant unbelief of his people. And that's, that's, that's pretty significant. It's pretty severe. But, but I think if we wanted to see perhaps the greatest outpouring of God's wrath that the world has ever seen, we, we're going to go all the way back to Genesis, to the flood. I know that we love to think of the, the flood as a cute story about animals on an ark taken two by two. 
I know we I know we love to debt and we often tell our children that story because you know it's got cute animals. But the reality is that's the it's one of the scariest stories in the Bible. It ought to make our children cry if we tell it to them as it is in the scripture because here's what happens in the flood except for one family all flesh on earth is destroyed men women and children die by drowning because of a global flood because god is offended by the sinfulness of man in fact god says and it's very similar to what he says hear about Israel says the inclination of their heart is toward evil all the time and so God pours out his wrath in a global flood and destroys everything everything all flesh except those that he saves in the ark and then what does he say about the exodus generation they always go astray in their heart they have not known my ways. And then just just a reminder of what God said about Noah and his family after the flood. Oh, the inclination of their heart is toward evil all the time. Okay, nothing changed. That's why we need a Savior. Now, we saw the negative example of the failure of the Exodus generation as sort of this proof that what God's desire is enduring faith in his people. But we also have an admonition to guard against an evil, unbelieving heart. Look at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So we also see God's desire that his people have enduring faith in this command, this admonition to be on our guard, to take care, pay attention, guard carefully, watch out for this evil, unbelieving heart that comes through the deceitfulness of sin, the hardening of the heart. God says guard against it, watch out for it, take care, make provision, make provision. To guard against this. Again, God proves his desire for the enduring faith of his people by giving them a direct command to be on their guard, to take care, to be on the lookout, to make provision. So, God desires the enduring faith of his people. But not only is that true, not only does God provide for the enduring faith of his people, God, not only does he desire it, but he provides for it. God provides for our enduring faith. God provides for the enduring faith of his people. Look at verse 13 with me. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There we see the third part of God's provision for our enduring faith. But if we go back to verse 7, we see that this section of Scripture that we're looking at begins with, 
the Holy Spirit says. Look, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then there's the quote from Psalm 95. Um, guys, I want us to see that, that first, the first part of God's provision for our enduring faith is His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, the first step or the first part of God's provision for our enduring faith. The Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus, first of all, to live within us so that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that happens upon repentance and faith in Christ. When we turn from our sin and put our faith in Jesus, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. We receive not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that is from God, so we may know all of the things that are given by God. Okay, We have this Spirit that's not fear of timid or timidity, but of a love and a sound mind. That's the Holy Spirit of God. It's there as a, a down payment and earnest of the things that God promises that are yet to come, but it's also there to empower and equip us for living now. It's the Holy Spirit that work, does this work of sanctification in us. Sanctification is essentially us becoming more and more and more like Christ. It's the process of sin slowly being eradicated in our lives. It's that process of spiritual growth, Christian growth, where we grow deeper in our relationship with Christ and our faith grows stronger. All of those things, that sanctification speaks to all of those. And the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit does that work. So the building of enduring faith in us, the growing of enduring faith in us, in part is done by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, which God has given to us. So the Holy Spirit is indeed part of that provision that God provides for our enduring faith. So, you know, I guess I want to ask is, you know, are you embracing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you cooperating with God as He works in you by His Spirit to make you more like Jesus? Because here's the deal. The Holy Spirit is at work doing that sanctifying work, and we can either work with that or we can work against that. Okay, now it's God doing the work by His Spirit, but but we're involved. We can either sweat and work against it, or we can sweat and work with that. What's the reality in your life? In your life today, as you sit here listening to this message, do you find yourself working with God's Spirit towards your sanctification, in your sanctification, or do you find yourself working against God's Spirit? But God's Spirit is at work, and the Holy Spirit is part of God's provision for our enduring faith. But it's not just His Spirit that He's provided. He has also provided His Word, and in fact, we get a picture of God's Word being used for our enduring faith, and that is the quote from Psalm from Psalms here in Hebrews, verses 8 through 11, which is a quote from the Old Testament Scriptures. And so here, the writer of Hebrews is using the Bible, God's Word, to teach 
and to encourage and to exhort toward enduring faith by showing first the negative example of the Exodus generation and their unfaithfulness, their lack of enduring faith, and also demonstrating how God is provoked and, and, and stirred to wrath because of it. And so here we have a scriptural lesson, a scriptural example, a scriptural teaching and admonition toward enduring faith. God has provided His Word for our growth. He's provided His Word for, for our sanctification. He's provided His Word for our enduring, persevering faith. And then not only has provided His Spirit and His Word, but He's also provided for His Spirit to work through His Word. So remember how I asked you just a moment ago, are you finding yourself working against the Spirit as He does His sanctifying work in your life? Or are you working with the Spirit? Well, one of the ways we work with the Spirit is by being in the Word. Because the Spirit works through the Word. So one, one of the first ways you ought to be saying, here's how I can work with God's Spirit in me for my sanctification, for my enduring faith, is I need to be in the Word. I need to be reading and studying and memorizing the Word so that the Spirit of God can work through the Word of God to bring about enduring faith in my life. But not only is, has God provided His Spirit and His Word, and not only has He provided for them to work together, but God has also provided His people. And I'm going to guess that this, that this morning... When I said God has provided His Holy Spirit for your enduring faith, you probably were thinking, I knew that. I knew that. Now, you still need to be reminded, because what we, what we know here, what we believe here, and what we practice here, sometimes there's a huge gulf. Sometimes there's a huge gap between what we know and what we do, and what we know and what we believe. Okay, so we need to be reminded. But yet you probably sat there and said, I knew that. And then when I said that God provides His Word... For the working and building of enduring faith in you, you probably said, I knew that. Now, again, you need to be reminded. We all need to be reminded because sometimes we forget. And again, what we know and what we believe and what we do, sometimes there's this huge gap. So we need to be reminded. Or sometimes we just, we get lazy. Okay, we get spiritually lazy. Or we begin to, like, believe in our own legend. You know, or we, 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 or, or, we, or we try to skate by on past successes. Like, yeah, man, there was a time in my life when I was reading the Bible every day, and I was going to a couple Bible studies a week, and I was memorizing huge chunks of Scripture, and I was doing all that. I'm not doing that now as much, but I did it before. And we think, but that's good enough, because I had some really good successes in the past, and so I'm going to skate by on those. I'm, going to, I'm just, that's, that's going to get me through. Nah, that's just spiritual laziness is all that is, okay? That we cannot get by on past successes or past faithfulness, okay? Enduring faith requires us, asks of us, asks of us to continue, okay? To continue to grow, to continue to be in the Word, to continue to cooperate with the Spirit so past successes don't work presently for our sanctification, and for the building of enduring faith. 
Okay, so we need to be reminded. But when I say God provides his people for the building of enduring faith in you, that's the one that I think maybe some of you, some of us, would say, what? I don't, I don't see that. I mean, I understand the spirit, I understand the word, but isn't God's people just kind of optional? You know, isn't that just... And the answer to that question is no. In fact, God absolutely provides his people the community of faith and let me just say in our context the church god's plan for his people is the church and part of the reason part of the reason that god's plan for his people is the church is so that the church can guard one another from an evil unbelieving heart so that the church together can take care of one another and help to encourage and exhort and admonish enduring faith in one another's lives. Look again at verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay, here's, here's what I... A couple of things I want us to see about this command to exhort one another as long as it's called today. Go all the way back up to verse 12. Take care, brothers. Brothers. Who's that? Who's he speaking to? He's talking to the church. Okay, so it's not take care each of you. It's not everyone guard himself, but it's take care Brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And then verse 13, if that's, if that's not clear enough that this is a command to the church as a whole to help guard one another, he just flat out says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. This is our call and our responsibility to one another as followers of Christ in the covenant community of the church. To exhort. Exhort means to teach, admonish, hold accountable one another. You know, if I told everyone my cross-country running exhortation story just by show of hands who, who's not heard that story okay great i get to hear it. i get to tell it okay so when i was in high school i ran cross country i know it's hard to believe okay let's i'm acknowledging that right now that is hard to believe but i did i ran cross country and i had a coach and a coach hirschback and coach had two kind of distinctives okay one he was a he'd been a track star in high school a hurdler and he bit the tip of his tongue off in a hurdle race so he had a slight speech impediment um, because he had bit the tip of his tongue off. And when he got excited, when he got excited, he got this real high-pitched voice. Okay, and then my name is Jim Smith, so you can imagine that my nickname in high school was Smitty. Okay, Smitty. That's a, okay, all right, so that was, my, that was my nickname in high school. And in fact, to me, this is the quintessential earthly example of exhortation. Okay, so I'd be running a cross-country race, and he'd be in the middle of the race, and I'd, and I'd start, I, maybe I was getting ready to hit that wall. Then all of a sudden I'd hear, <clears throat> I'd hear, Come on, Smitty! Come on! Throw it out! Throw it out! Come on, Smitty! 
that was, like, after the laughter, um, that was exhortation. I mean, my coach was passionately, and you know how I knew, you know how come I knew it was passionate? Because his voice got real high. Because in class, I had him for history, and in history class, he, he just spoke with, you know, this kind of voice, right, just like this, but, but, but when he got passionate, the, the pitch got high. And, and the volume, the volume let me know he wanted me to hear. And the message was a message of, okay, it wasn't just simple, you know, come on, you can do it, okay? It was get moving or that burning sensation you'll feel in your backside is my foot. I mean, like that, that's the message that I got from my cross-country coach when he would yell with that high-pitched voice and the words would be even more difficult to understand because I knew he was passionate about me running that race and he wanted the best for me and he was both encouraging me but also pushing me. He was pulling me along and he was pushing me along and there was an inherent warning in those words. It was like, if you don't go now, tomorrow in practice, you will run more hills. I will give you more road work. You will run more intervals. If you don't catch that guy, if you don't pick it up now, if you don't go now. Okay, that was all inherent in that hum on Smitty, okay, with the high pitch. Okay, it was, that was all there, and that's what exhortation is. I mean, sometimes it's pulling somebody along, but sometimes it's pushing them, and sometimes it's giving them a swift kick in the backside spiritually to move forward, to get going. And it's, and, and it's passionate because this is, this is life and death. This is eternity. This is the kingdom of God. Okay, so it's passionate. It's an it's impassioned pleas and exhortation and admonishment. That's what exhort one another daily means. And then it's exhort one another daily. Daily. How often is daily? Every day, right? Every day. So it's not enough. Listen to me. It's not enough to weekly encourage brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not enough to once a week exhort our brothers and sisters in Christ in their relationship with Him. It's not enough to once a week do that, or twice a week, or three times a week. But it is right, and it is obedient to do that daily, to daily exhort one another in our walk, in our, in our walk with Christ. And then to do that daily... As long as it is called today. Man, you know how long that is? Till you leave this earth. So, right now today, I want you to know, brother and sister in Christ, your responsibility to your brothers and sisters around you, it's, it's always been this way, but if you haven't embraced it, I want you to know that today, till the end of your life, Today, to the end of your life, your responsibility to, is to exhort one another towards love and good deeds, toward obedience to Christ, towards enduring faith. To pull, push, encourage, kick, if necessary, along the way, one another to enduring faith. Because that's God's provision. God has provided His people and His Word, and His Spirit. And here's the deal. Now all three of those are meant to be working together. So God, God's Spirit works through His Word in the context of His people. So you know what? You know one of the greatest ways you can exhort one another is by relying on the Holy Spirit and pointing to the Word of God. 
and then relying on the Spirit, Holy Spirit and living out the Word of God. Because that's also the way we exhort. We exhort by example as well. Okay? But that is your responsibility from today until the end of your life, till there are no more days for you daily, as long as it is called today. God desires enduring faith for his people. God provides for enduring faith for his people. He provides for our enduring faith. God provides his spirit, his word, and his people. So what does any of that have to do with life transformation groups? Well, let's talk about that for a moment. Here's how life transformation groups at Redeemer Church fit in. Okay? Here's the deal. I, I, I will tell you that you can, you can be completely obedient to what we've just heard from Hebrews 3 without a life transformation group. You can. Okay? I'm not about to say that, that, that somehow in Hebrews 3, in Greek, life transformation group shows up. Okay? All right? Like, I'm, I'm not about to tell you that. I, I'm not going to say that, you know, in between the lines in the text, you know, LTG shows up. It doesn't. Okay? But I will tell you that what life transformation groups are is, an, is a vehicle that makes this kind of living that we see in Hebrews 3 easier, more attainable, more accessible. Okay? And here's why. Our life transformation groups are groups of two to four people who are of the same gender engaging one another's lives toward trans gospel transformation. That's why they're called life transformation groups. They're groups engaging in life towards gospel transformation. Okay? And here's how they engage in life towards gospel transformation. They rely on God's Spirit. Our life transformation groups rely upon God's Spirit. Life transformation groups are not the, the subject of today's sermon. I hope you get that. What is the subject of today's sermon? That God desires enduring faith and provides for enduring faith. Who is, and, and so who's that all about? It's all about God, okay? All right, so it's, this sermon is not about life transformation, although I know that's up there in the title, okay? Uh, but that's, I'm not going to say it's a lie, uh, because, because it is about, the, the why is, the answer to the question is God. Why do we have life transformation groups? Because God desires in us one of the results of life transformation groups. Okay, so life transformation groups rely on the Holy Spirit. They are a spiritual activity that involves us praying for one another, praying that God's Spirit would strengthen one another, and praying for ourselves that as we enter into um, and interact with our brothers or our sisters in our life transformation group, God's Spirit is speaking to us and through us for their life. Okay, all right, so life transformation groups promote and point us to and require of us to rely on God's Spirit, to rely on the Holy Spirit. And so again, I want to come back to, you know, that kind of this question, hey, if you're in a life transformation group, 
and you and you can't immediately kind of point to the Holy Spirit reliance in the in your group, then there needs to be sort of some reevaluation of your life transformation group and what's going on there and answering the question, why isn't reliance on the Holy Spirit evidence in our life transformation group? Okay, because life transformation groups rely on the Holy Spirit. We, as individual participants, and we as a group, rely on the Holy Spirit. But also, life transformation groups, they point us to God's Word. Life transformation groups point us to God's Word. Okay, and and here's how, one way in which they do that. In your life transformation group, you have some biblical content that you're working through together. Now, that could take on a number of different examples. It, it, it could be that you just are flat out doing a Bible study. Your life transformation group is busting open the scriptures uh, every week or almost every week, and you're studying through a book, a chapter, or a section of verses. Or, or perhaps you're reading a book together, okay, that, that's like very biblically centered and gospel driven, you know. But, but it's, you know, I don't know. Like, I know some, some of the guys have worked through, um, what is it? Discipl- uh, help me. Disciplines of, a, disciplines of a Godly Man. Yeah. Disciplines of a Godly Man. Okay. All right. That book is just, it, it, it's written by man, but it's, it relies heavily on Scripture, and it's very much centered on the gospel. So there's biblical content there. So that might be another way in which you're being pointed through your life transformation group, pointed to God's Word. But then also, there's this idea that, okay, every week, you guys are sharing what God is teaching you from your devotion time. You're sharing that with the others in your life transformation group. So you're saying, man, here's what God taught me today. Here's what God is teaching me this week from his word. I read this in Lamentations today, and here's how God is using that in my life. Or you're memorizing scripture Together. Together, you're memorizing the Word of God. Okay? Again, life transformation groups are to point us to, toward God's Word. Point us to God's Word. And again, I'm going to come back and say, if you're looking at your life transformation group and you're not seeing any way in which you're being pointed to God's Word, I guess, let me, let me back up. There's these ways in which this could be happening are not meant to be exhaustive, okay? I'm not giving an exhaustive list this morning, but there is one more I think I should add. If, as you have conversation, one person in your group shares a sin struggle, confesses something, and then you use God's Word to speak to that issue in their lives, then you're pointing to God's Word. You're pointing them to God's Word, okay? So, I want to say, but... If you can't see, can't immediately point to a name how your life transformation group is pointing everyone in your group towards God's word, then you need to reevaluate and question what you are doing in your life transformation group. Okay. And then finally, they engage us in regular accountability, exhortation, and admonition. Okay, life transformation groups engage us regularly in accountability, exhortation, and admonition. Okay, day by day, 
whether so we we might have a weekly gathering of our life transformation group, but throughout the week there's prayers for one another, there's exhortations for one another. Maybe those are emails and text messages, or there there's getting together for lunch or having a quick phone convo, or maybe in your maybe your life transformation group is blessed to also all be in the same community group. Whatever that is, there's this regular holding of one another accountable and it's not just it's not just like asking that question once a week but it's asking it every day throughout the week you know um here's an example i I, and i I got permission from these guys to talk about this just i want to talk about some experiences in my life transformation group where this kind of thing was displayed one of them was an example where it didn't happen and the person who and the person resp- uh, apologized to me. So I- I'm in a live transformation group with Keith Sparrow and Jason Wren, okay? And I sent, I don't know if you guys remember that email I sent you a long time ago. Okay, so you gave me your permission. All right. Um, do, do you want me to stop now? Okay, all right. So for, uh, some of you, like I already mentioned how it's hard to believe I was a cross-country runner, but like two or three months ago, it was, it was even harder to believe. Cause, but, you know, but I, I dropped a little of this. And my life transformation group guys have been sort of holding me accountable. And uh, I remember we were uh, we were helping we were helping Lori move, okay, Lori uh, Rubaker. We we're helping her move, and she graciously fed us pizza. And pizza is not on my current eating plan, okay. And it was not my free day, and I was stuffing my face with pizza, and and Jason was there, and he didn't say anything to me, um, but then later, he apologized to me and said, you know what, I saw you eating the pizza, and I, and, and I thought I should I should have said something to you uh, about, you know, why you're eating that pizza when you told us you want to lose weight and you want to eat healthy and all that, and, and um, now I really appreciated his apology and the fact that he recognized that, that what he should have done was, Jim, don't you want to eat something else, or don't you want to eat a little less of that pizza, or... Or, or, you know, or stop it, you fat pig. I don't know, you know, but, but something, you know, he should have, he, 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 Jason recognized that he should have, if he was going to be faithful to me as an accountability partner, should have said something. Okay. Now I'm not putting the, the, the failure on him. I'm the one that was stuffing my face with the pizza. Okay. But, but my brother understood that he was my keeper. And then his responsibility was to me daily, and he apologized for falling down on that um, responsibility. And, and, and Jason, I, I told you that before, but I want to tell you now for all these people, man, I appreciate that. And that was exactly right. Okay, he did exactly the right thing. That's what I'm talking about, you know. And, and it's also about, you know, not being afraid. Okay, let's face it. I'm... One thing, I'm an elder at, at Redeemer Church, and those and Jason and Keith are not. So they could be intimidated by me. They could be. Okay. Also, also, I have an angry resting face. They could also, they could also be intimidated by that. Okay. And then, um, I have been told that I have a big personality. They could be intimidated by that. All of the, they could be intimidated by all of those things, and it would be easy for them to not question me hard, 
hard to really dig, okay, into my life, it would be easy for them to just uh, just to kind of, yeah, I'll just we'll just ask Jim the standard questions. We'll take his answers at face value, and that's it. They could do that, but I want you to know they don't. And here's an example. One one week I confessed to those guys that I really struggle with anger. That anger that week, I said, man, I really struggle with anger this week, and I, I was so angry. I'd be driving the cars to me come and, and cut me off in the car, or if or if I forgot something back at home, I would I was almost like cussing mad, like like a couple of times this week, just not out of my mouth, but definitely in my heart and in my mind. I even swore internally. Okay, I swore internally because I was so mad, just struggled with anger so much this week, and I thought, and I look, I, and I thought, look how open I am being. Okay, but I'm sharing with these guys. I told them I, I told them basically I cussed this week. I, 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 I used profanity this week. I shared that with you. I, I thought I was, and then Keith says, so Jim, why do you think that was the case? Oh. Now, Keith could have kept his mouth shut and just gone with what I shared, but he didn't because more than he's concerned about being intimidated by me, he loves me and taking seriously that, that exhort me, admonish, whatever. And he asked a very penetrating question that I had to do some more self-examination and answer. Okay, and so you know that, that's just a couple of like personal testimonies about life transformation groups and how this, how we engage in, in regular accountability and exhortation and admonition. Guys, God desires enduring faith in His people. God provides for our enduring faith. He's provided His Spirit, His Word, and His people, and we have life transformation groups so that no one will be left behind. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your desire for your people is enduring faith. God, I, uh, I'm grateful that you have provided so much for our enduring faith. And God, I pray that we will faithfully embrace all that you've provided. God, keep us from ignoring or leaving out or glossing over anything that you provided. God, may we embrace the work of your Spirit in our lives. God, may we long for your Word. And God, may we faithfully engage in exhorting one another daily as long as it is called today. And God, I pray that you would use our life transformation groups to help and to equip and to provide a vehicle for that to happen. God, for your glory, in Jesus' name.